Support for My Fellow Kansans and the following message comes from the Kansas Leadership Center, publisher of the KLC Journal's 2018 Election Issues Edition, available October 5th at klcjournal.com, Amazon, and Watermark Books. Kansas Leadership Center, inspiration for the common good. It's been a great pleasure and honor of mine to serve the people of the state of Kansas in various capacities for over 30 years. Uh, I've loved it. I am from this state. I am of this state. And uh, it's just been a hoot. He had been agriculture secretary, congressman, senator. But when Sam Brownback captured the governor's office in 2010, he had even bigger plans. Plans to transform Kansas into a red state model for the nation. But that's not the way things panned out. Come listen to my story about a man named Sam Brownback. The deep income tax cuts Brownback pushed for and got Kansas lawmakers to approve succeeded in making the state a model, but one to avoid, not emulate. And all because Governor Brownback, like so many Republicans, refuses to give up on the long discredited zombie law. zombie lie of trickle-down economics. He slashed taxes for the wealthy and eliminated business taxes that were the state's primary source of revenue. And guess what? The state lost all its revenue and crashed. Who could have predicted it besides everyone? Brownback limped to a re-election victory in 2014. His tax experiment had become the butt of jokes on late-night television across the country. And he spent much of his second term ranked among the least popular governors in the nation. His political career in ruins, Brownback accepted a lifeline from the Trump administration. But even then, Vice President Mike Pence had to cast the tiebreaker to get him confirmed as ambassador for religious freedom. On this vote, the yeas are 49, the nays are 49. The Senate being equally divided, the vice president votes in the affirmative, and the nomination is confirmed. I'm Jim McLean, and this is My Fellow Kansans, a podcast from the Kansas News Service. Sam Brownback has left the building, so to speak, but his shadow still hangs over Kansas and its politics, and definitely this year's governor's race. Governor Brownback once said that Kansas doesn't have mountains or oceans, so we need his tax experiment. We can either go backward and repeat the last eight years of the Brownback devastation, or we can elect a governor who will work like the devil to rebuild our state. If you're going to cut taxes, which I want to do, and that is one of my top priorities, I'm going to cut spending. That is the mistake of the Brownback administration. On this episode of My Fellow Kansans, we'll continue our examination of the people and events that triggered a turn to the right in Kansas with a look back at Sam Brownback, one of, if not the key player in that transformation. We'll cover Brownback's ascension to the top of Kansas politics as a figurehead of the Christian right his campaign to consolidate power with the purge of the legislature in 2012, and the anti-Brownback revolt staged by voters in 2016. From an early age, it was clear that Sam Brownback had ambition, the kind that successful politicians just about have to have. Listen to this ad produced for his 1996 campaign for the U.S. Senate. He's all Kansas. Raised on a Kansas farm, his folks still operate. State President of the FFA. President K-State Student Body. President of his KU Law Class. Kansas Secretary of Agriculture. Chosen as a White House Fellow. Congressman. I agree. This is the member we need, Sam. Dad. Sam Brownback for the U.S. Senate. 
Signs of ambition through and through, right? A steady and purposeful trajectory toward politics. If there had been a future Governors of Kansas and maybe President Someday Club, well, Brownback might well have been president of that, too. By 2006, Brownback was a senator making a presidential bid, and that got him a profile in Rolling Stone magazine. The magazine described Brownback's initial foray into elective politics this way. He squeaked into Congress running as a moderate. But in Washington, in the midst of the Gingrich Revolution, Brownback didn't just tack right. He unzipped his quiet Kansan costume and stepped out as the leader of the New Federalist, the small but potent faction of freshmen determined to get rid of government almost entirely. When he discovered that the Republican leadership wasn't really interested in derailing its own gravy train, Brownback began spending more time with his Bible. He began to suspect that the problem with government wasn't just too many taxes, it was not enough God. Brownback's election to Congress coincided with another big event in his life, one that, according to those close to him, fundamentally changed his outlook and purpose. It started, he says, with a strange bump on his right side, a melanoma diagnosed in 1995. Brownback talked about his purification through cancer in the Rolling Stone article. The doctors scooped out a piece of his flesh, Brownback says, as if murmuring to himself. A minor procedure, but it scared him. In his mind, he lost hold of everything. He asked himself, what have I done with my life? The answer seemed to be nothing. One night while his family was sleeping, Brownback got up and pulled out a copy of his resume. Sitting in his silent house in the middle of the night, a scar over his ribs where cancer had been carved out of his body, he looked down at the piece of paper. His work, the laws he had passed, this must be who I am, he thought. Then he realized nothing he had done would last. All his accomplishments were humdrum conservative measures, bureaucratic wrangling, legislation that had nothing to do with God. They were worth nothing. Brownback turns, holds my gaze. So, he says, I burned it. He smiles, he pauses. He's waiting to see if I understand. He had cleansed himself with fire. He had made himself pure. I'm a child of the living God, he explains. I nod. You are too, he says. That spiritual awakening seemed to drive Brownback's politics. During his 14 years in the U.S. Senate, he earned a reputation as one of the nation's preeminent social conservatives. And I'm introducing today, along with 30 co-sponsors, a bill called the Unborn Child Pain Awareness Act. He led fights on culture war issues like abortion and same-sex marriage. But the best, the optimal setting is in the union between a man and a woman bonded together for life uh, and a child, children raised in that setting. And that's something we've got social data on, but we also, we know that in our hearts. But he also took on other less partisan causes, human trafficking and the genocide in Darfur. When I talk about being pro-life and whole life, the child in the womb is sacred, the child in Darfur is too. It was that reputation that Brownback hoped would help him stand out in the crowded race for the 2008 Republican presidential nomination. Hi, I'm Sam Brownback, and we need your help. We're moving forward in Iowa. We did very well in Ames, Iowa at the Straw Poll, finishing third there, and we want to move that on forward into the caucuses. 
been pushing a strong set of values as the Brownback had high hopes in Iowa, running against Mike Huckabee, Mitt Romney, and John McCain and others. He thought the time was right for his brand of conservatism. If these ideas are your ideas, help me out. We need you. Not enough did. Unable to raise enough money to be competitive, Brownback dropped out of the race three months before the caucuses and set his sights instead on winning the Kansas governor's office in 2010. He won that race easily over Tom Holland, a little-known Democratic state senator from Baldwin City. Wow, what a wave. This has really been a night, a clean sweep for a new beginning. No more Obama way, now to the Kansas way. And our way is holding down taxes, holding down regulations, controlling spending. That's our route. Inaugurated in January of 2011, Brownback got right to work on his red state model. He privatized Medicaid, made welfare and food stamps harder to get, he said to break people's dependence on government. And in 2012, he pushed lawmakers to approve deep cuts in individual and business income taxes, saying it would jumpstart the Kansas economy like a shot of adrenaline. We've cut taxes. We went to zero on LLC and sub-S pass-through income. So anybody interested in moving to Kansas, come to Kansas. Better than Texas on small business. Early in his term, Brownback traveled the country, touting his red state vision. Here he is describing it to a conservative group in New York. This is a red state model. We've got strong family uh, issues. I've signed six pro-life bills uh, that have come forward. We want to be the best state in America. Pretty simple. We want to be the best state in America to raise a family and, and uh, grow a small business. And we're moving fast that way. And then you've got blue state models out here saying, okay, we need to raise taxes to pay more for public sector things. We need to have a bigger government to take care of more of the problems. To me, it's a fascinating time in U.S. history because normally the country kind of tracks one way or tracks another, and now you've got it going two ways fast. Um, I think you change America by changing states and by proving that your model works and your model for growth and your model for opportunity uh, and your model for helping people. The nation was watching to see whether his supply-side experiment would succeed where others had failed. And Brownback was riding high. He had gotten his tax cuts, but it wasn't easy. He had to maneuver around a knot of moderate Republicans in the Kansas Senate. You're probably aware of what Brownback did. I don't know whether you want me to go into details on how that happened or not, but... The moderates, led by Senate President Steve Morris, warned that cutting taxes would wreck the state budget. Outlined what he wanted to do, and he wanted to basically do away with income tax. And, and we were still just coming out of the recession of 2008. And we thought, well, we can't do that. We're, we're still trying to get our heads above water. Conservatives managed to get the legislation Brownback wanted to the floor, a bill starting the march to zero income taxes. But the Senate voted it down. And ultimately, we killed the bill. I was presiding. And, yeah, and my assistant came and got me and said, the governor's on the phone and he has to talk to you. So I go to my office. And he starts in pleading with me. Under our rules, we could reconsider anything that was passed or killed within 24 hours. Brownback said he wanted a chance for a compromise on the tax cuts. But for that to even be possible, the Senate had to pass the bill and send it back to the House so there would be something to negotiate. After more pleading from the governor, Morris agreed to bring the legislation back to the floor. 
So we ended up passing it with the understanding that it would never become law. Well, I went to conference and uh, we actually made some suggestions to the conferees about a much more modest tax reduction. They wouldn't even look at it. Brownback and his allies in the House refused to negotiate a compromise. Instead, they rushed the version of the bill that Brownback had assured Morris would never become law through the House. Passed to concur while we were still debating this other conference committee report. Anyway, he lied to us, he stabbed us in the back, and, and that's how that became law, and of course he signed it. The next year, they came back and made it even worse. Brownback, the Kansas Chamber, and other groups tied to Wichita's powerful Koch brothers didn't want a faction of moderate Republican senators blocking their agenda. So they went after them in what came to be known as the 2012 Purge. We considered ourselves moderates. And we had 21 races, and we lost 16 of those races. Morris was among the casualties. And we were sort of steamrolled by the governor and the Kansas chamber and uh, Coke-related uh, entities such as Americans for Prosperity and Club for Growth. And they sent out a huge number of mailings the last three weeks of the campaign, usually a couple a day, and very negative, very not truthful. Welcome to another episode of Where in the World is Steve Morris? I'm your host, Johnny Q. Texas. They didn't do TV, but they did radio. 24-7, every five minutes, they had the same kind of dialogue on that came out in the mailings. Um, Beijing? That's right. In 2005, Steve Morris used his position to get a free trip to China. Jennifer, you're our big winner. What do I get? Thanks to Steve Morris, you get higher taxes and fewer jobs. Paid for by the Kansas Chamber PAC, Jeff Glendening, Treasurer. As I said, we got steamrolled and, and lost the primary. The purge coincided with KU political scientist Patrick Miller's arrival in the state. You have a state legislature that had been under Republican control, but when you slice and dice the politics of it, Democrats and your moderate Republicans were often typically the majority and could pass legislation that they wanted if they came together on a particular issue or could could stop legislation. So you really have this period of the Senate, the House, the governorship being under clear conservative uh, control and them really been, being able to advance their agenda for the first time in a, a very long time, maybe if not ever. If we go back uh, and think of Brownback historically, when you thought of Sam Brownback, you thought of socially conservative politics. You thought of abortion, gay rights, religious issues, human rights to an extent. He'd worked on that a little bit in the Senate. You didn't think of someone who was um, a diehard on economic issues, so certainly he was economically conservative. Um, and then when he becomes governor, the economic issues come a lot more to, to the forefront. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think part of that just comes with the office. Um, a governor has a lot of power over fiscal, economic, and spending issues that a senator who is just one of 100 people does not have. I mean, if Sam Brownback had been president, we might have seen more of this come out. He still perceived himself, still thought himself as a potential presidential contender at that time. Uh, maybe, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but people thought of him as one. Uh, he had run for president in 2008, not done very well. Um, and there was 
talk, um, again, how true, who knows, that if he came back to Kansas and this red state model was effective, that he could be someone who we could look at as a possible presidential contender. Well, you think that was the architecture he was envisioning, that he would come back to Kansas, which is fairly, uh, relatively speaking, a pretty small political playground and a, a place with which he was familiar and a place that the economy wasn't doing that well, the state wasn't growing. And so he was going to remake it in this Republican red state image. And that was going to be a shining example of, of the effectiveness of these policies. And that would then propel him back to national prominence. Was that the thought process, do you think? I think that's the thought process that a lot of people projected onto it. Uh, and that may or may not have been his own thought process. I mean, he never came out and said, this will be successful and then I can run for president again. Mm-hmm. Um, but that narrative was out there. But also after 2010, Republicans really come into an unprecedented level of control of states that they hadn't seen in a not very just long Kansas, time. Across the not board. just Kansas, but across the country. And the Koch brothers and other Republican super rich donors have played a huge role in that. We started to see super PACs come out and we started to see these billionaire donors really invest a lot in state politics. So there were a lot of Republican governors who were experimenting with policy in their own ways. Um, Brownback probably stands out the most on taxes, but Brownback was not alone in that. So, but shortly after you got here, we we had the 2014 election. Paul Davis, Mm -hmm. uh, the legislator from Lawrence, the uh, Democratic leader in the Kansas House, challenged the sitting Republican governor and came pretty close to beating him. Why was Brownback all of a sudden politically vulnerable? You know, there were a few Republican governors that year, uh, Mary Fallon in, in Oklahoma, right next door, for example, who had implemented some of these major policy changes, and they didn't go the way that they were supposed to go. So even in a good Republican year, there were a few of these Republican governors who had experienced blowback or negative policy consequences to the changes they implemented and found themselves in unusually competitive races. And Brownback was among those. Brownback was definitely among those. Um, so by 2014, we had, you know, the tax cuts have been implemented and revenue had fallen quite dramatically. And, and it seemed like we were in just a constant budget crisis. And by 2016, Kansans were really feeling it and letting their lawmakers know it. That caught conservative state Senator Forrest Knox off guard during an early campaign swing in southeast Kansas that year. I, I just let, let me, me tell you about my, my, my list. The to people me. in Kansas are dissatisfied yeah. with our government. <clears throat> and I don't know how long it's going to take you people to realize that we're not happy with him and we're not happy with what's going on. Okay. And, and, and well, I read that in the papers regularly. But you don't. But you, you don't, don't do anything don't, about well, it. <laughs> let me let me give me a few minutes to tell you about what I've heard for the last four days. Out in western Kansas, people were souring on the governor and his allies in the legislature too. People like Robin Nordike, who after 45 years was just retiring from her job as a public school teacher in Ulysses, she was a registered Republican and had once voted for Brownback, but she was regretting it. Well, I think people are starting to realize that education isn't being funded like it should be. And I think with the threat that schools might close, that's wakened a few people up. Because, you know, if schools don't open, then parents have no place for their children to go while they're working. If this was D.C. and we could just run a deficit... 
again, Patrick Miller. You know, Brownback wouldn't have had all the negative headlines and, all, and, and the various cuts to education or transportation or other programs that I think a lot of people felt very hard in different communities. Uh, Senate District 21, Dinah Sykes. Thank you. Thank you all, to all the people in Lenexa and Overland Park for choosing me as a Republican nominee. A few months later, Democrats and moderate Republicans were celebrating legislative victories. They had harnessed that angst over what Brombeck's tenure had wrought, shrinking school budgets, canceled road projects, and limits on health care. And they toppled a third of the conservatives in the legislature. Kansas, it appeared, was swinging back to the center. Having unseated an incumbent member of the House in the GOP primary, Joy Coaston described for the Kansas City Star the centrist coalition that would form in the State House. I'm hoping that many of us can join the other moderates that, that serve in the legislature now, both Democrats and Republicans, who can maybe think about what's really needed here in Kansas and really work together to find the solutions that are best for our state. In June of 2017, with the session in overtime and lawmakers wrangling with how to solve a billion-dollar budget crisis, that newly bolstered coalition of moderate Republicans and Democrats well, they repealed Sam Brownback's signature tax cuts. Breaking tonight at 10, within the past few minutes, Kansas lawmakers approved a massive tax increase in Kansas. The governor's veto approving a major tax increase Live in the state. Live at the state house now, James. And it's been an emotional night here at the state house. I look house. at this as bittersweet. I don't like the bill, hate the bill. But we have to move forward as a state. Statements made tonight about us taking money from Kansans, that is absolutely untrue. I think it's very exciting that Kansas is turning the page on the tax experiment. That's over. And we're back on the But has Kansas really turned that page? Is it trending back to its centrist roots? That's next time on My Fellow Kansans. My Fellow Kansans is a production of the Kansas News Service, a collaboration of public radio stations across the state. The podcast is written and reported by Jim McLean, edited by Amy Jeffries, and mixed by Matthew Long Middleton. The production team includes Beth Golay, Nadia Foe, Scott Cannon, and me, Grace Lotz. Primary Color Music composed our theme. Thanks to KCUR's Ron Jones for narrating Jeff Charlotte's Rolling Stone article, God's Senator. Thank goodness for C-SPAN, our source for archival audio in this episode. Kansas News Service Statehouse reporter Stephen Karanda contributed audio. So did Kansas News Service fellow Noumeen Ujiadine. Special thanks to Neil Carruth of NPR and the NPR training team. If you liked this episode, leave us a review. It helps other people find our podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at KS News Service. <laughs>